weird. Uh, so, yeah, being here for seven years, Bluemont has been really, really great to me and to my wife, Brogan. And, um, man, I, yeah, I could go on and on. I moved here as an intern seven years ago, August 2011. Uh, just had graduated studying mechanical engineering at KU and was hoping just to learn some stuff through my time here, finish out my two years, and then go into engineering. Uh, which is kind of a scary thought, um, but it's funny that when I was initially asked to move to Manhattan, my internal response was like, oh no, like, you've got to be kidding me, like, that's the last place I want to go, you know, and I, I didn't really have the faith for it, you know, for what God wanted to do here at the time. Nevertheless, I ended up here, and uh, it was my time here at Bluemont, it was my time here in Manhattan of all places that God showed me, hey, this, the engineering is not what I want you to do, this is where I want you to go, and so I ended up coming on staff on a team full-time, and I actually met my wife in the CTG world, which is crazy. Uh, we actually celebrated our one-year anniversary yesterday, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just praise the Lord. We're still alive, and uh, <laughs> uh, funny story, yesterday I, I tried to be all romantic, you know, and uh, at our wedding a year ago, we, we, we sent off these, like, paper lanterns, you know, it was like, circles, you like light the fire and they float away. And so I saved one of those from the wedding a year ago and Brogan didn't know. It was hiding in our basement all year. I was like, oh, on our one year anniversary, I'm going to surprise, we're going to go out somewhere and like light it off, you know, and it was the last one. And so we go out to this park yet last night at sunset. We watch the sunset. It's amazing. And then uh, it finally gets dark enough and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this lantern thing out that I've been saving in the basement all year for this this moment, you know, and, uh, and so she's like, whoa, like, I had no idea that you had that, you know, it's amazing, I'm like, yes, she didn't know, it's a surprise, it's amazing, and then we, we light it, and uh, it's too windy, <laughs> it's too windy, and so I'm like trying to get it to work, it catches on fire, <laughs> and uh, we end up having to like step on it to put the fire out. So we don't, like, put up, like, light this park on fire, you know? Uh, all around us, they're, like, burning fields and stuff. We're like, oh, we can't burn this field, like, without them knowing, you know? Uh, <laughs> but it's, man, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Jonathan Hutt married us a year ago. I mean, half my groomsmen are guys that I met here in Bluemont. And uh, it's funny. I remember Brogan and I standing at the altar a year ago uh, and looking at each other kind of apprehensively as Jonathan started reading from Song of Solomon, uh, in, our, in our wedding, and he started reading this verse. It was like, uh, you've captured my heart, my sister, my bride. And we're like, where is he going with this? Like, this better be good. <laughs> uh, but he wrapped it up well. It was, you know, not about what you would think it was. And it wasn't about what we initially thought either. It was like, okay, we're not related, are we? Okay, no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, alas, I'm not going to spend uh, my entire time reminiscing, although it would be easy to do. Uh, I, I want to talk this morning about change, uh, which feels really appropriate as Brogan and I are moving on uh, into change. But first, I want to show this clip. Uh, we didn't test it out, so we'll see if it works. Uh, but has anyone watched The Office in here? Okay, so if you don't watch The Office, uh, basically this clip I'm going to show you uh, is uh, Michael Scott's uh, Steve Carell is the office manager for an office, and they just merged with this other company, and the other company has some changes for them to embrace uh, because their company's failing and, and all that. So that's where we pick up in this clip. Let's see if this works. Wow. 
Change is hard, isn't it? <laughs> change, change is hard. Uh, there's a, a therapist named Virginia Satir who says, most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. Isn't that true? Most people prefer the certainty. We prefer what we know over what we don't know, even if what we don't know is better, right? Maybe what we don't know is better, but it's, it's changed. And oftentimes the pain of changing outweighs, or we feel like it outweighs, the pain of staying the same. And so it's not until the pain of staying the same gets greater and greater and greater that we're willing to embrace the pain of changing. Even if we have a good thing going, even if it's not necessarily you know, this unhealthy situation, even if we have a good thing going, it's hard to trade that for something that's better because we just don't know. We could risk it all you know, on something that, that hopefully turns out better, but we don't know. So I'm talking about change. I'm talking about new things. And I want to talk about this scripture this morning in Isaiah 43. This is God speaking to the Israelites, but I think this is God speaking to us this morning. This is God says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Everyone say new thing. New thing. thing. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God's all about moving us further into the calling and into the destiny that, that He has for us. And moving forward requires change. right? It requires something different. And I believe that God is saying this to each one of us this morning, uh, but I also believe, just like what Jonathan was saying and and through the worship experience, uh, it was so good, that this is also for us as a church community. I believe that God is saying, hey, look, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing in in Bluemont Church. Don't you see it? But I'm also, I'm doing a new thing in your family. I'm doing a new thing in your job and in your marriage. Look, do you want to see, you want to take part in it? I love that Jesus would often say stuff like this. He'd be like, hey, look, open your eyes. The kingdom is in your midst. You have no idea what you're about to miss. Can you see it? It's all around you right now. And it's, I hope that it's not hard to see that, you know, if you've been at Bluemont for a while, man, God's really doing some cool stuff. I mean, people are getting saved. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and lives are changing. I mean, there's a richness and a depth that, has been really amazing to, to take part in. Uh, there's been a passion to make disciples. I mean, people have been giving generously to meet other people's needs. And I mean, it's been so fun to be a part of that, you know. And so to, if, if you're a part of that group that's experiencing that, I hope this message encourages you just to go deeper and be willing to trade a good thing for an even better thing. God wants to continue doing a new thing, keep building on that. But maybe some of you, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I don't, where, where is this good thing happening? I don't, I don't feel that. Like, where's this transformation happening? And maybe you feel stuck this morning. Maybe your job, you know, isn't where you thought you'd end up. Maybe your, your marriage isn't quite as, as good as you expected. Or um, maybe you feel distant from God. Whatever it is, I think Jesus is saying to you also this morning, hey, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing, and you have a chance to be part of this new thing this morning. Change is coming. And I love, uh, just total side note in that scripture that we just read, God says He's going to bring two things. He's going to bring a way in the wilderness, and He's going to bring streams in the wasteland. Man, if, if that's you, if you're feeling stuck, this is God's change for you. Change comes in the form of a way in the wilderness. And the, the interesting thing I found about this is that He doesn't say, hey, I will transport you immediately out of the wilderness. 
No, uh, there's nervous laughter. <laughs> like, oh God, please. Uh, no, but he does say, hey, I will provide a way. I will show you the path. I will provide a clear direction in this wilderness so you can get through it. And even in, in the streams in the wasteland, he doesn't say, hey, I will make the wasteland disappear entirely. I will take you, you know, to the beach and you, you know, go to the resort for a month, you know, a well-needed vacation. No, but I will give you the sustenance and the nourishment that you need to make it through this wasteland. So if that's you, man, I think change is coming for you as well. And maybe you don't feel stuck. Maybe you don't feel, you know, in either of those camps. Maybe you've had a really great experience with the Lord, uh, but you've been living off of that experience for a little too long now, you know, and, and it can be easy to try and recreate uh, the past. Maybe, uh, you know, when you were 15, God was so alive and powerful in your life, and man, if I could just recreate that experience, uh, or, you know, as the worship team, oftentimes people, hey, can we do that? Michael W. Smith song, like that song was so anointed, like you mean the one from the 80s? Like, yeah, man, that song was amazing. Like, like okay, yeah, that was a great song. It was an amazing song, but man, God's doing something new. Like, let's not try and recreate the past. God wants to do something new. So whichever camp you're in, or if, you know, if I missed you, you're in a different camp of your own. Man, I think God wants to take all of us together into something new, which requires change on our part. And so there's this scripture that I want to, highlight for us uh, this story that I think really illustrates how to move into the new thing, how to change into the new thing that God is doing. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Judges 6. We're going to read a good chunk of this chapter, and I believe that this story has a lot to show us about how to move forward into the change that God's bringing about. Um, Just to set up this story really quick, um, in Judges was kind of a unique period in the Israelite history. Uh, Moses had taken the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, they'd crossed the Red Sea, the whole epic movie experience. And then he'd handed it off uh, to, you know, his next guy, Joshua, who led them into the Promised Land. And now they're, they're in kind of this, like, limbo period. They don't really have a king. Uh, they don't really have, like, an official ruler. But whenever they got in trouble, God would raise up a leader to kind of get them out of trouble. And here in this chapter... They, they find themselves in trouble once again, and, and God needs to find a solution. So let's pick it up. Verse 1, Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They were in trouble. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. It's a long time. We're not talking about you know, a few short days of misery. I mean, seven years is a long time. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Everyone say strongholds. We're going to come back to that word. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So as you can imagine, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Here we have this this people group that God had promised to bring into prosperity, that they were going to be a light to the nations, and they were brought from prosperity into nothing. I mean, they were on the brink of starvation and being wiped out as a people group right? For seven years. I mean, it's a long time. I imagine 
you know, when this was first happening, that, you know, they probably had some sort of like town hall, you know, the leaders, like, okay, these Midianites are kind of being a problem here, like, what should we do? You know, they're like throwing solutions, you know, at each other, like strategies and stuff, writing on the proverbial chalkboard or whatever they had, uh, flannel graphs or something. And uh, you imagine one guy's like, wait, wait, I got an idea. Let's hide in caves. And they're like, brilliant, how did you think of that? And he's like, well, it just came to the top of my head. Like, did, I didn't have to think about it at all. It's like, wow, that's brilliant, let's do that. So we go hide in caves, then what? Well, then they burn our villages, they take all our crops, they kill our animals, and then when they're gone, then we come back and we plant crops again. And then, well, what if they come back? Then we'll go back to our caves, right? It's a brilliant strategy. And for seven years, they go through this over and over and over. And just an interesting side note, I said we'd come back to this word stronghold. Oftentimes in the church today, we talk about strongholds being a metaphor for false thinking that prevents you from becoming who God has made you to be. It's like a lie that you believe to be true about yourself, about God, about the world, that prevents you from becoming who God had made you to be. So it's really interesting if you think about stronghold in that sense, in this story, that the, the people of Israel were running to these strongholds thinking they were protecting themselves, when in reality they were preventing themselves from becoming who God had made them to be. So interesting. So then finally, after seven years, the pain of staying the same finally outweighed the pain of change. And in verse 6, we pick up, what do the Israelites do? Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Finally. No one had this idea for seven years. Hey, maybe the Lord has a solution. Finally. So, how, I mean, just it's interesting. It's hard not to think about for us. Like, man, when I settle in my life, like, how bad does it have to get before I'm willing to cry out to the Lord for help. So we're not going to camp on that too long. Let's keep going. Let's see what God does about this situation. In verse 11, this is God's response to the Israelites crying out, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Some really fun names here in the Old Testament. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now you've got to, this is just so funny to imagine. It's funny and sad, and because we all relate to this, I think, in some level. But here we have Gideon hiding in a pit, right? Doing what cowards do, right? He's hiding in a pit from his enemies, working his crops so the enemy wouldn't take his crops, you know, and it'd be hard if I was in the, his position, I imagine I'd do the same thing. If the outcome I was imagining was like, okay, my enemies are going to come, probably going to kill me, and they're going to take my crops, well, I'm going to hide me, and I'm going to hide my crops, right? That makes sense. And the angel shows up, and he says, hey, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You've got to imagine Gideon's like, uh, me? Like, who are you talking to? He's like, yeah, you're the only one in a pit here. Like, who do you think I'm talking to? <laughs> you know? What I find is interesting about this story is the angel does not call him a coward. Isn't that interesting? The angel doesn't say, hey, you freaking weakling. Like, what are you doing? Like, get off your butt. Like, come on, let's go. It's go time to, like, you know, like, defeat the enemy and stuff, you know? Like, rise up. What are you doing? No, he says, you're a mighty hero. You're just not acting like it yet. I find that so interesting. There, uh, there's a guy named Steve Backlund who came a few years ago and I think made a really great deposit in our church community. And one of the things he talked about was like, hey, if an apple tree doesn't produce apples, is it 
does it stop being an apple tree? No, it's still an apple tree. And in the same way, it's like God is like, man, this is a mighty hero. He's just not acting like one yet. He hasn't produced any fruit that looks like a mighty hero yet. Right? And so, Jesus is, you know, the angel of the Lord shows up representing Jesus so many times in the Old Testament. is saying, hey, why is my mighty hero acting like a coward? Why is my mighty hero hiding in a pit? That's not what a mighty hero should do. Right? So, let's see how Gideon responds here. In verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and I will destroy the Midianites. You will destroy the Midianites, as if you were fighting against one man. The first thing I love about this is, it's just funny that God totally sidesteps Gideon's question. Gideon's like, hey, why is this happening? Like, why did you abandon us? God's like, not going to answer that. Just next question. Like, I'm sending you. Let's do this. And second, it's so hard not to relate to Gideon's response because it's so human, right? It's so human. God's like, mighty hero, go in the strength that you don't even know that you have. Let's do this. And, and Gideon is like, hey, um, Lord, that's, that's really nice that you said that. that like, it makes me feel good inside that you think so highly of me. But let me remind you of the facts, right? Let me remind you of all the reasons your plan is not going to work, right? He's like, okay, first of all, I'm the least of the least of the least. And blah, 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 I'm the least, I'm the least, I'm the least. And the angel, you can just imagine, it's hard not to just use your imagination. The angel's like, yeah, I can tell that you believe that. I mean, look where it got you. You're in this pit. Like, where, how's that working out for you, right? And, but we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. God shows up in our life and he's like, hey, I, want, I have these amazing things in store for you. I want, let's, let's do some stuff. Let's take some risks together. And you're like, God, let me remind you of the facts. Let me remind you of why that's a really bad idea. <laughs> right? Maybe he shows up and he's like, hey, I want you to quit your job and move into this field that I know you're not trained for, but man, it's gonna be, this is going to be better for you. You're like, God, that's a great idea, but there are these things called bills you know, there's things called money, and I need money in order to feed my family. Here's why that's a bad idea, right? And so we invalidate the plan that God has for us, or we attempt to, right? Or maybe, maybe God shows up and He's like, hey, I, I, I want you to share the gospel with that coworker of yours. You're like, God, that's a great idea. Like, man, we should totally love, you know, like people who don't know God and stuff, but here's why I can't do that. I, you know, I'm not allowed to share my faith at work, and, you know, I just don't want to make people uncomfortable. Here's why that won't work. Or maybe God's like, hey, I want you to get to know your neighbors, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah, great. The ones that go to, go to church with me? He's like, no, no, the ones on the other side, the Muslim ones. You're like, oh, well, there are like cultural rules in place for why I can't do that. You're not allowed to talk to, you know, a woman wearing a hijab and stuff. It's like out of place. I can't do that, God, right? And so it's like, oh, man, like we're talking about change this morning. We're talking about a new thing, God doing a new thing in Blumont, in your family, in your life. 
And it can be easy to ask, okay, John, what is the new thing? What is this new thing? And, and I really can't tell you exactly what the new thing is uh, because I'm, I'm not God. I'm not you know, your personal Lord and Savior leading you in your life. But I can hopefully point us to the one who can lead us into this new thing together. And I can tell you that this new thing, this change that God wants to do is a place free of strongholds. It's a place where wrong thinking that leads to a lack of freedom is broken down and there's freedom. It's a place where there's a way through the wilderness. This new thing that God wants to do is a, is a stream in the wasteland. It's bringing, it's new things. And man, I think God wants to show us something, take us somewhere that we don't even know exists yet. I love the, the song that we did this morning. I cannot remember the words, but it was like, God isn't simply revitalizing. He's not simply restoring. He's not simply doing something you've seen before in the past. The kingdom is here, and it's unlike anything you've ever seen before in your life. Like, you don't even know how to think about it. We don't even, we can't even imagine it. Like, well, is it going to look like this? Like, no, you stop asking. Like, you don't even know. Like, just follow me. Just follow me into this new thing, and I will blow your mind. There's this uh, story I heard recently of a police officer who... uh, caught a guy who was a thief and had beat up another police officer. And he, this guy uh, caught the guy. And so standard protocol, like the unwritten rule of the time, this was in the 80s, was that if you catch a guy who beat up another police officer, no questions asked, you go and drop the offender off to that police officer's unit that he beat up. What are they going to do? They're going to beat the heck out of this guy, right? That's the unwritten cultural rule of the time. And so he's, he's got the guy in the back of his car. He's on his way to go drop this guy off at the unit because he's a good officer. He follows the rules. And he feels like the Holy Spirit is like, hey, you need to pull over and let this guy go. And he's like, God, let me remind you of the facts. <laughs> I'm a police officer. We uphold the law. Uh, we don't just let people go who break the law. Like, that's not how this whole thing works. It's called justice, right? Let me remind you about justice, God, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, and God's like, yeah, yeah, I know that you have that old spiel. Like, I know that you're just afraid, you know, and you're using all that stuff. But here, this is important to me. I want you to pull over. I want you to let this guy go. And he's like, okay, there's some more facts I left out. Uh, if, if I don't drop this guy off, what they were going to do to him, they're going to do to me. Right? You want that to happen to me, your faithful servants, you know? And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're just afraid. I want you to pull over. I want you to let this guy go. So reluctantly, begrudgingly, he pulls over. He opens the back of the car. He lets the guy out. He's uncuffing the guy. And the guy gets, afraid, gets scared. He's like, what are you doing? Because like, he assumes he's going to you know, like shoot him as he's running away and say that he ran or something. You know, he's like, what are you, this is a bad idea. Don't, don't do this. And he's like trying to convince him not to let him go. And he, he knows it's a bad idea. And so the, this police officer is like, see, God, even he knows it's a bad idea. Like, what are we doing here? And so, so finally he's like, okay, like, I know this is weird. I feel like the Lord is telling me to let you go. Just go, like, please, like, so I can move on with my life. And... So he, he goes, and he gets back in the car, and he's driving away. He's like, what, what, what am I doing? Like, what was that? Well, through a, a, just a crazy series of events, it would take too long to explain all the details, the guy ends up turning himself in anyways. He ends up reconciling with the police officer that he beat up. And through that whole situation, this reform to the department comes about because that guy turned himself in, because this officer let him go. 
And not only does this reform, like the, you know, you don't beat up offenders, you know, behind the back alley, that whole unwritten rule, that gets reformed. They end up hiring this guy on as a consultant to the department. They start paying him. He becomes so valuable to the department, they pay for his wife to go to law school. All because this guy listened to the Holy Spirit in a way that did not make sense, in a way that seemed really stupid, right? And he, he was like, I want to do something you don't even know exists yet. What I want to bring you into, you don't even know about. You, you can't even imagine it. There's no way he could have imagined that was going to be the outcome of that happening. And I think God wants to do a similar thing in us this morning. We don't know, as a church, where God is taking us, but we can follow Him into it. We can obey Him. So I have a few points for us, if you guys are taking notes, um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say a thing later. Um, first point, what got you here will not get you there. What got you here will not get you into the new thing that God wants to do in your life. In other words, you don't need to know what you already know. You need to know what you don't know. What Gideon knew was that he was the least of the least of the least. And look where that got him, into a pit, Right? He did not need to know more about how he was the least of the least. He needed something new. And that new thing came from God showing up, saying, hey, let me remind you of what's... I know you have your facts, but here's what's actually true. You're a mighty hero, and you've forgotten. He needed to know what he did not know already. What Gideon knew was that what he needed was to know that he's a mighty hero. It's kind of like Michael Scott in this clip saying, hey, we've always done things like this. And the lady's like, yeah, I can tell. Like, look where you've ended up, you know? And, uh, and, and we, we do the same things in our lives. Like, God's like, hey, this is going to be amazing. Let's do this together. And you're like, no, 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 God, I've never done that before. He's like, yeah, that's the point. That is the exact point. So you've never done this before. Let's move into this new thing together. And maybe it, this, I'm hesitant to give practical examples because this looks different for all of us, but maybe it's like, God's like, hey, I want you to dive a little deeper into the community here. You're like, but God, I've always been, you know, at a certain level of involvement, you know, in, in the church and in relationships. I've always kind of, you know, had relationships at this certain depth. He's like, yeah, I know. Like, this got you this far. It's awesome you've gotten this far. But, man, I want, I want to do more than that. Let's go into a new thing together. You know, and you can fill in the blank. This looks different for all of us. Uh, and sometimes it's not necessarily negative. Sometimes it's just trading something good for something better. Um, a few years ago when I was transitioning uh, into being the campus director for Call to Greatness, um, I uh, had been just a, cam- just a campus director here for a while. And um, for those of you who don't know my personality, I'm not necessarily the task-oriented, have a plan, you know, like really organized kind of person. I'm more of like the free spirit, like fun-loving, we'll wing it when we get there, you know, kind of person. And, uh, and we have these annual staff reviews uh, in theory. Sometimes they don't happen, but this year it happened, and I was sitting down with my superiors, and, and they're like, hey, like, you've done a great job um, getting to where you are now. This, like, the whole free spirit thing has been really, really great, and that's what this community has needed until now, <laughs> right? Like, it's helped establish a sort of, you know, like, ethos in the community, which is great, but now... You're not just some guy, you're, you're the campus director, and what your team needs is not the wing it guy anymore. What your team needs now is organization, a guy who answers his emails on time, a guy who responds to phone calls, a guy who has a plan, right? 
And I was like, oh, man, okay, like, I don't know if I could do that, you know, that's not really who I am. And, uh, man, but, I mean, just, I mean, just the God's grace, you know, it was just going into that, I was like, okay, I, I, if that's what the team needs, man, I would love to, to grow in those areas. And, yeah, I'm sure certain task-oriented people are like, yeah, you never really got fully there where we wanted you to be, but <laughs> I think, you know, I met him maybe halfway or something. Uh, what got you here won't get you there. What got us here to this point is amazing. Let's celebrate that together. But God is saying, hey, there's something new, and we've got to change it up a little bit. What got us here won't get us there. My next point is, is there were some strongholds involved in Gideon's story. The point is strongholds can prevent change. I didn't have a cool pithy saying for this. Just Strongholds are bad, basically. Uh, Gideon had a stronghold, which is a, a false belief or a false paradigm that prevented him from being able to embrace the change that God had for him. The, the, the stronghold was that I'm the least, I'm the least, I'm the least of this. I'm not powerful. Maybe it was a victim mindset or something like that. But it was something that that was, did you get that from God? Did God say that about you? Oh, no, he didn't? Then where did you get that? Because if it was not from God, then that's a stronghold. That's not from the Lord. And so when the, the angel shows up, he's a mighty hero. He's like a robot. He's like, does not compute. Like, that doesn't make sense with my paradigm. Right? It doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't fit with my current view of the world. That's, that's, that's a sign sometimes that there's a stronghold. And sometimes uh, these can be... Um, about us. Sometimes they're about God. Sometimes they're about other people. Uh, for instance, like uh, the song, I'm no victim. A victim mindset can be uh, a stronghold. It's like, man, does God say that you're a victim? No. God does not say that you're a victim. That's, a, that's something that what got you here cannot get you there. A victim mentality, that can't get you forward. That's going to have to change something. Maybe it's uh, the uh, God just wants to be, me to be happy lifestyle or paradigm which is really great if things are going great, right? But as soon as things, bad things happen in your life, it's like, wait, wait, God, I thought you just wanted me to be happy. This doesn't compute. This doesn't fit with my paradigm, right? Maybe tragedy strikes. You're, you're treated poorly at your job. Maybe you lose your job unjustly or, or some bad things happen. And it's like, well, what do I do with that? I mean, that doesn't fit with my God wants me to be happy paradigm. And God's saying, you need a new paradigm. What got you here won't get you there. And how do we deal with strongholds? Gideon dealt with his stronghold when he allowed God to show him what was actually true. I love this definition of confession. Confession is simply telling God what I believe to be true. Gideon telling God, but I'm the least of the least. This is what I believe to be true. I believe that I'm the least of the least of the least. And then he allowed God to respond with what was actually true. What is actually true is, I'm with you. You're a mighty hero. You have strength you don't even know you have. That's what's actually true. And repentance is when we trade what I thought was true for what God is now saying is true. That's what repentance is. It's a change of heart, a change of mind. And me, okay, God, that's what you're saying to be true. Let's go with that because I'm in a pit right now. This hasn't worked out too great for me. It's repentance. So that's how we deal with strongholds. Man, when, when we see something in our life that doesn't compute you know, with our current way of doing things, like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Like, I thought God wanted to be happy. I thought I was a victim. I thought God doesn't care. I thought, I thought good enough is good enough. You know, I thought where we're at is good enough. I thought my current, whatever it is, 
we find something that doesn't compute to sign, maybe there's a stronghold in place. And the way that we break that is we come to God, we confess what we believe to be true, and we repent by allowing God to tell us what is actually true. So what got you here won't get you there. Strongholds are bad. And then my last point is there really is no formula. <laughs> this is unfortunate because I personally love formulas. And by formula, I mean, you know, five steps to live your best life now or something like that. Um, formulas are great because they're safe, right? There's always one right answer. It's, it's reassuring to have one right answer, isn't it? I studied engineering, and I always said that although in engineering was insanely difficult, uh, in some ways it was easier because you knew whether you were right or wrong. Like, there was one right answer, you know, and so you knew whether you were right or wrong. Uh, more often than that, I was wrong, but uh, it, in other majors, from my perception, you know, maybe English or something like that, it was like, man, I could kind of write a paper and try and convince, you know, the teacher that this is right, but none of us really know whether I'm right or not, you know, it's like kind of, it's muddy, you know. And uh, formulas are nice, but most of the time, God doesn't operate within formulas. Most of the time, God's desire is to take us out of, a com- out of our comfort zone, and there's no real formula for that other than trust God. That's the formula. Why is there no formula? Because formulas kind of take out the need for God in the first place. They put us in control. Say, so, hey, okay, if I follow these five steps, then God owes me this. If I say the magic words, then God owes me this. If I become a member at Bluemont Church, then God owes me this. If I lead a Bible study, if I lead my friend to Christ, if I fill in the blank, God owes me this. That puts me in control. That doesn't, put, that doesn't require any trust, but God doesn't operate in formulas. He operates in relationship. And relationship requires intimacy. It requires trust. It requires God seeing us fully and us opening ourselves up to God, the way that we are. A formula says, if I do these things, then God owes me this. Relationship says, I have no idea what's about to happen, but I will jump. I will you know, take a leap of faith, not because I'm supposed to, not because of something I'm hoping to get out of this, but because I know you, because I know God, and I know that following you is better than not following you. I know that your leading in my life is trustworthy. Uh, one formula that, that I have lived by at times and that is, is pretty common is something I like to call open-door theology. Open-door open theology is a formula for trying to figure out what the big next step in your life is by seeing whether there's an open door or a closed door. And oftentimes we can make a formula out of that by saying, okay, if the door is open, then that is God's will for my life which doesn't really require much trust. It's just, do I see an open door or not? But sometimes God doesn't want us to go through the open door. Sometimes God wants us to break open a closed door. Right? Sometimes He wants to pick the lock, you know, the closed door. Sometimes He wants us to make, make something happen. Maybe there's no door at all. He's like, hey, I want you to knock down the wall and create a door in there, you know? Like, there are things that we can't create a formula for that. And sometimes that is helpful, you know, for where we're at in that in our maturity or our life or whatever, but God says, hey, I want to take you a little deeper than that. Let's, let's take the formula, let's move a little deeper into relationship than where you are now. Right? So what got us here won't get us there. Strongholds prevent this change, this new thing God has for us. And there's no real formula other than let's trust God together. Let's confess what we believe to be true and trade it for what God says 
to be true. So, man, just to wrap it up, I, I, this might have been really frustrating to the type A people in the room because I'm not giving you super practical tips, you know, like five steps or whatever. Um, and and Bluemont, we try and re- really, really practical most of the time. Uh, this week is not one of those weeks. But I just want us to think about what would it look like for us as a church? What would it look like for us as a community? For this group of people here in this room to move forward into the fullness of God's purpose and plan for us? What would it look like for us to to break down strongholds in our lives? To say, God, this is what I believe to be true. Will Will you help me trade that for what you say is true? For us to trade, man, this is where I'm at. This is what got me here. God, give me something better so I can get into the new thing that you want to do. What would it look like for us as a body to live more free than we've ever been? To, to be more bold than we've ever been? To live at a higher trust with the Lord than we've ever been? I mean, that would be really cool. And I think most of us have not experienced that to the degree that God wants to do in us this morning. So let's be willing to change as we realize that what got us here won't get us there, let's honestly go to the Lord with strongholds or false beliefs or paradigms that limit God's ability in our lives. And let's not boil God down to a formula, but let's be people who trust God together. So let me pray for us really quick and we'll keep going. God, thank you that you are good, that your kingdom is here, that you are doing a new thing. You're bringing streams into the wasteland. You're making a way through the wilderness. God, thank you that you're always on the move. You're always doing something new, always something fresh. God, we celebrate the miracles that got us here. God, we celebrate man, the, the transformation and, and the, the, the stretching that has happened already before this, that has gotten us to this place. But God, we want to continue to trust you. We don't want to live off of past experience, off of the, the hype from a previous thing. We, we want to do what you're doing now. What are you doing now? So God, we say that we trust you. We open our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.